Hello, welcome and bienvenue, konnichiwa. It's time for the Amish Inquisition yet again, episode 163 on Sunday the 13th of December. I'm Amish Phil. I'm Amish Ben. And I'm Amish Matt. And uh, tonight's guest is TJ Branham. Um, he's the author of The Lockwood Code, and he's been researching this character called Ingersoll Lockwood. How are you doing, TJ? Good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's um, oh, just I was watching your YouTube videos earlier. To try and get a flavour of what's going on. I mean, it's a it's a really sort of strange subject to find yourself looking at. How did how did you get into all this? Yeah, quite by accident, actually. Um, years and years and years ago, I saw this like History Channel documentary about something called the Bible Code, and I kind of just had it on the background. I'm not really a religious person or anything like that, but it got interesting. Uh, basically, it was about this group of rabbis who claimed to have found a code in the Torah and using something called uh, equidistance letter sequence codes, yeah. which if you don't know what that is, um, it's basically the simplest form of, of a code. Like imagine if, if I was like a spy and I wanted to send a secret message to another spy and I gave him a book, like any book could be whatever to say it was like to kill a mockingbird or something like that. And, you know, to the normal person, it looks like they're just carrying around a book to kill a mockingbird. But if I give my spy guy, uh, the key, and I say the key is, let's just say it's five. And he knows that if he counts every five letters, you know, ignoring punctuation and spaces and things like that, that it'll spell out my secret code. And that's kind of basically what these these guys, uh, long, long, long time ago, these rabbis discovered with the Torah. And the first one that one of the rabbis discovered was that if you count, beginning with the first book, Genesis, every 300 letters, it spells out the word Torah. And it's like, okay, well, you know, big deal. That's kind of interesting, but it's not a very big word, and you're counting 300 letters. Yep. You know, you know whoop you do that could just be coincidence yeah um and they just you know they continue to refine it and find codes but it really didn't get interesting until computers came along because you know humans can only do so much and basically what these rabbis were doing was they were taking you can imagine um you know they're taking the entire bible and you know writing it out in one long basic sentence you know that stretches miles and miles and skipping letters and trying to find things, you know, that would take a human being, you know, decades, if not more, almost impossible. But once computers came along and could, you know, form them into matrices and, you know, use algorithms and things like that, it became quite easy. So mm. um, a gentleman that really made it popular, uh, Michael Dorskin, uh, who recently died, he actually wrote a book. I actually got a copy right here 
called the Bible Code. And it's three mirrors, so it probably probably looks backwards, but yep, that's fine. <laughs> Um, <clears throat> this was popular in the nineties and it's basically what the documentary I saw was based on. And basically he was a journalist who got in touch with a mathematician in Israel who basically became obsessed with this Bible code thing. And he was a mathematician and, um, he basically found that supposedly hidden in the Bible were all sorts of secret messages and things like that. Very specific things using equidistance letter sequences. And he would just, you know, plug in his computer and he would just let it run all night back in the you know eighties, nineties, back when computers were much slower. So it would take forever to, to decode things. And he'd find really interesting things. Like he'd find um, like there was information about the JFK assassination. Um, there was information about world war one, world war two, Hitler, all these things. And so he published it in a mathematics paper, the journal of mathematics. And he sort of, he was an atheist. He wasn't, you know, the super religious person. So he didn't really believe that it was divine intervention or anything like that. He sort of, uh, came at it as an interesting puzzle is the way he put it. An that's anomaly. Kind of the, yeah. That's kind of the way I come about it too. Um, I fully admit that these things could be just random chance. Um, probability and things like that. Uh, particularly with the Bible, it's such a large text. If, you know, you're, if you're searching for certain keywords by skipping letters, uh, you know, you have, there's only so many letters. There's only so many words. You're, you know, eventually you're going to find them. Right. But where it becomes interesting is when you search for those words and they become clustered together and form interesting things. Right, so this is where sort of statistical significance becomes an issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and people have criticized this before, which is fully understandable because, I mean, like there's been people that have debunked it by uh, taking a copy of Moby Dick and searching for things, and they found things like the JFK assassination in Moby Dick. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, we're, you know, we're, if we search for these things, we're going to find them. Um, so that kind of filed that away back in my brain. I never really thought about it. And then uh, about 2015, uh, I read an article that kind of went viral on social media about uh, this author named Ingersoll Lockwood who wrote these books in the uh, late 1800s. And um, they basically, what the article talked about was how they had similarities to and parallels to Donald Trump. And, he wrote, Ingersoll wrote these three children's novels, well, he wrote two children's novels um, that centered around a character named Baron Trump. And as you know, you know, Donald Trump has a son named Baron Trump. Um, So, you know, he, the author, you know, picked up the books and read them and he discovered like some really interesting things. Um, Like, you know, the, it's, the novels basically tell a story about this little German boy who goes by Baron Trump. And he just basically, it's kind of like an Alice in Wonderland ripoff in a way. Um, they're not very interesting books if you read them just from a narrative standpoint. If, if right. they didn't have anything in, in contact with, if they didn't have anything like similar with Donald Trump or anything like that, they really wouldn't be that interesting. And they never really caught on. He never really entered the the children's well, literature lexicon or anything like that. Well, he wasn't an author by trade, was he? No, he was a lawyer, yeah. Ingersoll. Uh, we don't know too much about him. I mean, we know he's born in... 1841 died in 1918. Uh, he spent some time as a diplomat. Abraham Lincoln appointed him as a diplomat. One of the youngest diplomats actually. 
So we have some writings from that time period and things like that. Um, but he's mostly known as being a lawyer. He came from a family of lawyers and, you know, he wanted to be an author. So he wrote books. And like I said, it really feels like he was trying to rip off Alice in Wonderland, you know, children's literature in that form, fantastical form was popular at that time. So I think he was trying to jump on the bag wagon of that. And that's kind of how it reads. It kind of reminds me of like the, the cheesy B movies that kind of try to capitalize on the big blockbusters. Um, but yeah, uh, we don't know too much about him as far as his personal life or anything like that. Cause it's just that he practiced law. He was a diplomat for a while. And he wrote these books that people at the time really didn't like, if you read the reviews of them, they were like, this is boring. This is stupid. It's dumb. But, you know, fast forward years later, now we look at it through the eyes of someone who knows who Donald Trump is and it gets interesting, you know, because you got, um, basically the kid gets in and out of adventures and, uh, you know, he goes to Russia and he uh, gets into an adventure in Russia, runs into some interesting people there and he loves to offend people. He's really into that. Really? Yeah. Quite obnoxious. Yeah. He likes to come up with uh, personal insult nicknames for people. Oh, really? Like Sleepy Joe. Sounds. Yeah, exactly. Like Sleepy Joe or uh, Pocahontas, as he likes to call Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Crooked Hillary. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's he's very insulting to women. Baron Trump is. Uh, he likes, he's always trying to get into entanglements with women and things like that, even though he's a young boy, which is interesting. <laughs> but. Um, and, you know, he lives in a place called Castle Trump, which is very interesting, kind of has parallels to uh, Trump yeah. Tower. Yeah. It's in New York. Oh, right. <laughs> so it's located. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Better, so yeah. Just all these little things that kind of added up. And it, it, it was interesting. There were interesting coincidences. Yeah. So reading it from, from that standpoint, it became interesting. <laughs> and somehow I kind of drew the line where I was like, God, I remember these things called ELS codes. And I was like, I wonder if anyone has ever tried them with this guy's work. Um, Cause it should be interesting because if it's character named Trump, I should, I mean, maybe I'll find just some funny, interesting things. And I kind of went from it from that point. I wasn't like thinking it would be serious or anything like that. It was like, you know, maybe I could find some humorous things that I could share with people and it would be funny. Yeah. And so, you know, I downloaded some, some software programs that do ELS codes and formatted the text in a manner that I can search through it and just, just randomly started, you know, looking for stuff. And obviously the first thing I tried to look for was Donald Trump. And, you know, since Don, you know, there's a character named Trump, obviously I found some stuff. Um, but then it, I just kept getting more and more specific and looking for harder and harder things to kind of beat that statistical gap of, okay, am I finding something random or am I finding something interesting? Mm. And the more I searched, just the more amazed I was at how specific some of the things were that I was finding regarding like COVID-19, George Floyd, Joe Biden, it's even got sleepy Joe Biden in there. Right. <laughs> like it has the nickname sleepy Joe Biden. It's, you know, it's got uh, coronavirus, COVID-19. If you take the Roman numerals for 19, that's in there. Right. Um, and they just, they cluster around all these interesting things. And what amazed me was these are very large novels. Like, you know, they're kids' books. They're, you know, like 200 pages or so. Right. So to find this much specific things in such a small amount of text was just very intriguing to me. And I don't know why they're there. I'm not, like I said, I'm not like a religious person, so I don't think it's like divine intervention. I don't 
necessarily think Ingersoll Lockwood was some, you know, prophet or time traveler or anything like that. I fully admit it could be just random probability, but if it is random probability, it's, it's pretty much at the trifecta on, on some of the things that, that it's got in there for the size of it and the specific information. It's just, like I said, I kind of treat it as an interesting puzzle. It's like, yeah, I don't know why they're there, but it's fascinating that they are. It is. It's strange. And are you finding the clusters like within a couple of pages of each other? Yeah. Well, basically what you want to do is you, what you want to kind of do is kind of grid them off. Right. And by that, what I mean is you form a matrix of, of your letters. So imagine if I take the entire text of a novel, I take out all the spaces, all the punctuation, and I just, you know, oh, yeah, that's throw what it, it looks together like. in one string of text. Right. And as you can see here, what we got pulled up here, this is a, this is probably like, what is this? This is like a 30 by 30 matrix. So it's 30 letters across, 30 letters down. So in a, does that re- represent, because it's hard to tell with like the punctuation and stuff taken out. I mean, to me, that looks mm-hmm. like maybe half a page of text in the book if yeah. you're reading it in the book. Yeah. So they're very close together. So it's it's usually within a paragraph of each other. In a paragraph? These things. Yeah. Right. Uh, it depends on how large you make make your matrix. Right. Um, so it could be bigger, it could be smaller. So what size, it, what size is this? Is it 20 by 20 or something, did you say? Uh, this was probably about 30 by 30. Most of the ones I tried to do were 30 by 30 because I find that 30 by 30 is a good number to go with because it kind of takes away the probability of just randomness yeah. and tightens it up. Yeah. I mean, I could go huge and go, you know, 500 by 500 and find all kinds of interesting things, but then it's more of a, well... Probability-wise, I'm going to find something. Yeah, it's less exceptional. You're trying to find the most exceptional yeah. examples you can. So most of the things in my book are either 30 by 30 or 50 by 50. Right. Uh, I go a little bit bigger. I, it, I try to stay under 100 by 100. I think once you get over 100 by 100, then you're just, you know, you're going to find whatever you search for. <laughs> you're mm. going to find it. Um, but some of the things that, that are in there are just insane to me. I don't, so, so what have we got on this one? What have we got on this uh, one? Well, this one we got here. What do we got here? Let me zoom in here. Oh, you're on a uh, phone, well, aren't you? Sorry. There we go, yeah. COVID-19. Uh, so this one, yeah, this one's interesting. Right there in the middle where the green is. Uh, starting with a C and going up, you see that it says COVID. Yeah. And then right next to it, you see XIX. And that's the Roman normal for 19. And up at the top in the red, you see up there it says uh, election... Of the president, right? Uh, which I thought I thought was interesting. Um, now, election of the president is actually there's no you're not skipping any letters in that. That's actually taken from the text itself. So right. what I'm doing is kind of mixing the two. Um, this is from the novel 1900 or the Last President, it's Ingersoll Lockwood's last novel he wrote, right? Uh, which is also an interesting book that has parallels to to 2020. It's basically <laughs> what it's about. It's about a bunch of Basically, a bunch of socialists and anarchists that ride in the streets after a president becomes elected that's not very popular, a president from New York. <laughs> All right. That sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. I'm <laughs> just very re- popular. <laughs> I was just wondering this if, you know, when he was writing these novels, what was, have you ever looked into sort of what was going on in society at that time? Whether, because is, is this not like the, the rise of like the first sort of, uh, what's the term, I suppose? I was going to say sort of oligarchs and things, but millionaires and Rockefeller and all that at the turn of the century yeah. and stuff. It was, yeah. And, and the progressive movement in America was, was just taking off too. 
in right. that area. It was kind of gathering its steam at that point. And, um, you know, there was, it's very similar today. There's a bit, you know, big divide of which way do you want the country to go? You know, do we want to, mm. you know, stay traditional this way or do we want to become more, I don't know what you call it, socialist or, or whatever. But, you know, there was a big movement for progressive movement back in that time that was, that was getting started. Mm. And he was kind of trying to capture that, particularly in the last president. Uh, and I'll be wrote there. Uh, the children's books, not so much. I don't think, I don't think he tried to have any like parallels or anything like that oh, so. to society when he, when he wrote the children's books, cause they're pretty, like I said, they're just pretty silly and right. so the last, fantastical. The last president wasn't a, a children's book. Was that more of like a social mm-hmm. commentary or mm-hmm. was it a novel or? Yeah, it was a novel that he wrote uh, towards the adult audience, sort of, he was very much trying to, to show parallels of, of the time he was living in with that right. particular book. Right. Um, and he was basically trying to, you know, it's kind of like an Upton Sinclair kind of thing. Upton Sinclair came later, but he was trying to basically trying to be like a social justice warrior <laughs> in his fiction with that particular book. Um, <laughs> not very successfully. It didn't take off or anything like that. It's basically kind of a, I don't know. It kind of reads as a kind of a whiny manifesto to me. <laughs> um, but it's interesting that it, that the parallels of that particular president character in the in the novel has so many parallels to Trump too. Just the fact that you know he's he's from New York. Yeah. You know what's he he's called? What's not he... very popular. He's he's very uh, outspoken and rude, and people hate him or love him. There's no in between. And then you know lots of violence in the streets and threats of overturning the government, things like that. What, what's he called? Just out of curiosity, in that book, the president. Uh, I don't even remember the name. Quite honestly, it's it's like it's very similar to uh, it's kind of a ripoff of um, William Jennings Bryan. It's like very right. similar to that. <laughs> yeah, just an obscure it's name, like, no uh, significance there that you know of. No, nah, nothing similar like that or anything like that. But uh, yeah, just just crazy, crazy, crazy things. Um, Do you want to throw uh, up another? Oh, sorry, go on, Matt. No, I was just going to say, how many books did he did he write? Uh, Lockwood. He wrote three fiction books. Uh, he wrote some nonfiction books too, right. but they they weren't. They, they were more based on like his law practice and things like that. But right. the novels that he wrote were just the three. The first one was called "The Travels and Adventures of Little Baron Trump and His Wonderful Dog Bugler," <laughs> and he wrote that in 1889. Mm-hmm. And then he wrote a sequel to it called "Baron Trump's Marvelous Underground Journey." Uh, in 1893, mm-hmm. and then he wrote the last pri- no, um, you know, Nobel Prize for for fiction or <laughs> no, like no, that. no, nothing like that, nothing like that. <laughs> he was like just a step up above, you know, the guys that you know write fan fiction on the internet today. <laughs> well, <laughs> children, slightly step above that. Children's the guys books. who went for Disney, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're a massive thing today, aren't they? Children's books. All the celebs. I don't know if it's like that in the States, but all the reality TV stars mm-hmm. and pop stars, they all started writing children's books now for some reason. Yeah. I mean, they think it's kind of an easy, easy sort of, uh, thing to get into. Children are pretty, um, they're pretty tough audience to grab a hold of. You know, they're not easy to, it, mm-hmm. you know, their minds wander just as much as ours, if not more. So if you're already it's... famous though, you're going to sell some books. I think they, exactly. uh, the children don't yeah. hold the purse strings. That's the thing. Exactly. Yeah. All the wives uh, do. Oh, you're going to throw another one. Oh, oh. 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 you got Phil. 
Got another example here. Yeah, what do we got here? Uh, Epstein, the murder. Uh, yeah, Jeffrey Epstein's <laughs> in there, which I thought was fascinating. Um, he was very <laughs> focused on kind of one point in time with his uh, with his coding, wasn't he? Really, he was. Yeah, because I've searched for for like things in the past, and it's it's very much things that are that are within the last twenty years. Um, uh-huh. Because I've searched for things like you know JFK and, and historical events, and they're not really in there. It tends to no. be things from mm-hmm. from this time period, twenty twenty. That's interesting. Because well, you know, yeah. so he must have passed him by when he was doing his. Uh, <laughs> I guess I don't know. Maybe he thought Nostradamus already covered that. So ah, like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll slide into here. That's an but, interesting uh, point. That because if it was just purely statistical variance, um, you shouldn't see any demarcation in the period of time. You should be able to find a till of the Hun. Just as often as hmm. Jeffrey Epstein. That's yeah, weird. And that's I mean, what I found know, the most fascinating weird, about it? it. Yeah, it's strange that I it's. Mean, well, so far, you've only found stuff that's happened in the last couple of decades. I don't know. That's yeah, and, an interesting and, point. and like I said, I've searched for those things too. Like I've searched for a lot of World War II stuff, thinking right. that, you know, basically big historical time points and thinking, like, you know, Hitler, Stalin. Yeah, Hitler. All, all that sort like of that. stuff. Right. Uh, Osama bin Laden, you know, 9-11, like, you know, the big turning points in history. Mm. And it, it, for whatever reason, there's just much more clustering and, and things here. But Epstein's, I mean, first of all, the fact that the name Epstein is even in this, in this book that was written in the 1800s is, you know, out of this world to me to begin with. <laughs> um, but so right there in the middle, you see Epstein going down, uh, which is how that one's formed. Right. And in the green. Yeah. And then, you know, over in the corner right here, you see the murder of. <laughs> so that's from the that's from the original text there. Correct, yeah. Um and then what I found interesting was here is over there you see uh cell, S E L L. And how you're getting those, it, i know it kinda looks when you're having a grid formation, it kinda looks like, well this just looks like you're circling random letters. What's going on here? Right. Uh Basically, if you start at that C right there, and you go up two over one, you get to the E. Up two over one, you get to the L. Up two over one. And that's the pattern you're following. That's the equal distance between the letters. Up two over one, up two over one. When you actually string out the text, and it's not in a grid, it's much easier to see it in a grid formation like this and to kind of find information. But when it's actually just one string of text, you're still just skipping letters. Like in this case, I think it's skipping every 20 or 30 right. or something like that. So it's still an ELS. You're, you're still skipping. Yeah, you're doing the ELS. same skip each you're still, time. It's, yeah, you're still skipping the same amount of, you know, a certain yeah. amount of letters in each one. Just when you have it a grid, they kind of get stepped sometimes. So it just looks like you're, you know, yep. randomly circling letters, but you're not. But it's just easier to see. You wouldn't be able to see all this. It was just one giant sentence. And I was like, okay. Count every 20 letters. Now count every 10 letters. Now count every... You wouldn't be able to see it, and you wouldn't be able to really connect it with what's going on in the book Yeah, yeah. right there. So that's why it kind of sometimes they get a little yeah, weird. But So we got Epstein, the murder of, Cell, and then in the orange there, Hang. Now that's the supposed story of what happened to him. He you know hung himself in his cell, quote-unquote. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, and then right across the murder of, you see... Cop, C-O-P, which in and of itself isn't that big of a, you know, big of a word. It's only three letters. So, you know, by itself, that's not that impressive. But just the clustering of having it very close to the murder of and within Epstein and Cell and Hang, 
And, you know, there's this, this theory that his cellmate was a, was a former police officer who, mm-hmm. you know, is this basically is- awaiting trial for triple homicide. Uh, big giant looking dude. If you never yeah, giant a picture of this giant, cop, he looks like a professional wrestler or something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. One of the theories is that, um, you know, this cop actually murdered, uh, Epstein, uh, which makes a lot more sense to me personally <laughs> than he called himself. <laughs> and, uh, you show, I saw in one of your videos, you showed the, uh, picture of his cell after the murder. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're going to kill yourself, are you really going to, you know, toss your cell around like there was a struggle first? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, the, the I don't think I would go through that trouble. <laughs> yeah, the room's absolutely trashed, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you could clearly see there was some kind of struggle, and there's blood in different locations, and uh, it just it makes no sense. The fact that the cameras that, you know, were pointing at the cell at the time just happened to be malfunctioning. The fact that the police officers that were on duty that were supposed to be checking on him every 15 minutes basically forged the logs over 300 times and didn't check on him for more than eight hours. <laughs> 15 minutes. Uh, which, they were supposed to check on him every 15 minutes. Yeah. Cause he was, he was on suicide watch, right. you know, they say he was taken off. He, he actually wasn't. If you actually read it, he was, he was on suicide watch and they were supposed to check on him every 15 minutes. They didn't. Um, there's actually video of the two police officers because those cameras that were in the control room where the guards hang out, those were working. And, and recent court filings have shown that those cops were just, just hanging out in there watching TV, goofing off, forging the logs over 300 times. They forged it saying they checked on them when they didn't. And they've actually, there's, there's been a couple of indictments coming on, on those two uh, recently for forging those logs. Cause that's, you know, against the law, but just, I don't know, just the fact that you have Epstein, the murder of cop cell hangs all in this small cluster together. Yeah. I mean, the word Epstein alone, you know, is why, why is that? Why do you find that so significant? Uh, because it's it's just, such a, it's not very popular. Uh, you know, some words are going to be easier to find than others because they're, they're small and they're like, you know, the word cop or, you know, it's, they're, it's common. Right. You know, Epstein's not a very common name. It's, it's a larger word. You know, the larger the words get, the harder they are to find. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, in this particular case, Epstein was found by skipping every, uh, I believe it's every 75 letters. Something like that. Right. I don't know if it's on this one, but, but with this, uh, right. I know she's gone for 41, uh, yeah. horizontal. And the the other one, the previous one was thirty. This wouldn't yeah. work if you'd gone with thirty previously, right? Because these would be scattered differently. Uh, correct. Yeah. So depending on this original matrix was a fifty by fifty. I uh, zoomed in when I cut it to the uh, interesting information. So this one originally was a fifty by fifty matrix, and I basically cropped it to make it easier to see and read. Oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, some of them are, are going to be cropped, and you're not going to see the exact amount. Um, but Epstein, yeah, a lot of the Epstein stuff tends to be in, uh, 50 by 50 matrices, mostly probably because his name is longer. Um, so sometimes the bigger, the word you're looking for, the bigger the matrix you got to go with as well. Otherwise it's not going to line up. So does the matrix affect the ELS then? Um, it can, it depends. It's kind of confusing. The math in it is 
is interesting. Um, not necessarily from a skip point of view. Um, That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it won't. Um, like I said, if you just imagine if I take the whole novel and I just make one giant sentence stretched out, you know, yeah, to however long it takes, you're still going to have the same amount of letters that are being skipped. Yeah. The only thing it changes is is the visual output of what the matrix looked like. So when you um, when you use the software, does that examine the entire text as a whole, regardless of what matrix you then choose to view it in? Correct. Yeah, it does. Right. Um, and then you can ask for it to the software I use is called Skip Code. Uh, it's free. You go on my website, uh, lockwoodcode.com. You can download it and try all this yourself. I have all the codes on there. You can download them. Um, cool. And I have the texts that are formatted. And I encourage people to do it. I think the more people to do it, the more interesting things you'll find. But um, yeah, so what this software basically does is it, um, it just kind of speeds up the process. What it does is you tell it, okay, here's, here's my text file. And it's going to remove all the spaces and all the punctuation from it, everything like that. And I tell it, okay, I want to search for uh, Epstein. So I type in Epstein. And it's going to search through the entire document that you've uploaded. And it's going to basically start, you know, skipping letters one by one and tell it finds, you know, cases of Epstein. And I think in this case, it found, I think it only found two. Weren't that many. And then it forms the matrix for you. I tell it, okay, I want it to be a 30 by 30 matrix, or I want it to be a 50 by 50 matrix. And it'll form it for you. And it'll actually put that word in the middle of the matrix for you, just for for visual purposes. So that's why it has Epstein going up and down in the middle there. And then you and then you can search within that matrix for things, and that's when it gets interesting to me. Not necessarily that you can find Epstein. That okay, what else is around Epstein in this particular matrix around this particular form of text that makes this interesting? And so within that matrix, it's like okay, what do we got? We got and then you just I just start searching for keywords that you know surround Epstein. I was like okay, well he hung himself. Is it's hanging there? Yep. <laughs> where did he hang himself in jail jail in there no prison no cell yeah there's cell kind of a small word but it is close to hang yeah. so it might be relevant and it's just kind of this trial and error that you go through trying to find things and you just you know spend hours and hours kind of going down this rabbit hole seeing if you can find things and did you search sometimes for, it works sometimes it doesn't did you try searching for lolita express in that cell <laughs> No, I didn't actually. Oh. I should. I should try. <laughs> Probably a bit, a bit of a big one, that. <laughs> yeah, I would be surprised if it was in there. <laughs> At this point, I wouldn't. Wow. But uh, yeah, just and then sometimes it's it's not necessarily the visual matrices and the words that are close to it that are interesting, but sometimes it's the amount of words that are skipped that are interesting. All right. So the, of, the the actual cipher itself, the skip count. Yeah, like, for example, um, uh, there's a Barack Obama one where if you take the text of the first Blockwood novel, uh, The Travels and Adventures of Little Baron Trump, right? And if you skip every, (laughs) this is kind of silly, but it's funny, 1,961 letters, which sounds random, uh, it spells out Obama, Right. right? And you're like, okay, whatever. Well, he was born in 1961, 
So one nine six one. I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. That's within weird. That, <laughs> yeah, within that matrix, though, it also crossing rightly across from Obama. It says born. So the matrix that creates using his birthday says Obama born. Oh, <laughs> oh my god. So that's when it gets really crazy. It's like okay, that's so sometimes it's it's that stuff that that kind of ties it together and makes it weird. Is that this one? Um, I'm not sure it's this one. It might be this. There's actually a lot of Obama. I, I guess Lockwood was like one of the birther conspiracy guys or something. <laughs> because for whatever reason, whenever you search Barack Obama or Obama, birth and born are always right around it. And you know that was kind of Trump's. Um sort of entrance into the political world was he was the big birther guy. You know, he yeah. was when Obama was president, he was the, this guy wasn't born in America. Show your birth certificate. Oh, and, right. Okay. You know, he was, he's a secret Muslim from yeah. Kenya. <laughs> and there are, I found so many Obama birth Kenyan Muslim connections in the, and I'm not saying I believe in any of those things. Let me get that straight right yeah. away. But I, for whatever reason they're in there. Now, this one in particular, we got, yeah, so this is one that I thought was interesting. This is, so it says Obama, and then it says Trump, you know, up there. And then you, this is a good example of what, I, what I'll consistently find is I'll find information about him having to prove his birth. Like you'll have you know, proof, liar, born, USA. Um, yeah, for whatever reason, I guess Lockwood was, was a birther because he – he doesn't believe Barack Obama was born in the United States of America for whatever reason. Um, there's also another one that talks about um, Kenya and Muslim and Obama. And to be fair, uh, Barack Obama's father, Barack Obama senior, uh, he was a Muslim that was born in Kenya. Yeah. So is it possible Lockwood's talking about those guys? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. So it could be that uh, could be random, but I, for whatever reason, Obama and birth connections are, are heavily in there. I found hundreds, hundreds of them in all three of the novels for whatever reason. Oh, what's this? What's the legend? Oh, the legend, that's sort of the cipher that's been used, is it? Yeah, uh, kind of as an example of what's what's going on here. Cause some of them do get really interesting and confusing. Um, this one, this is one of the first ones I found, actually. Um, so, yeah, so you have Obama, Trump, birth, lies, liar, ISIS, Christian War, uh, Christian War, Christian War, yeah, Christian War, East and Mid, yeah. There is a, there's a lot of a lot of ISIS stuff and Middle Eastern War stuff that's in it as well. Um, Baghdadi is in there. The lead the leader of ISIS that we assassinated is in there a couple times. Which just that particular word in general, the fact that that was when I searched for that, I was like, okay, this you're not going to find this. That's that's a huge ISIS word. Well. Yeah, and I found that in there as well, and it just, um, just fascinating. But as you can see, like some of them are, are quite big, and that's kind of where the, kind of where the um, controversy comes in it. Um, so where it says offset sixty, that's where you're starting at in the text. Um, that's the sixtieth letter is where you're starting at, right? And then you're skipping every one thousand four hundred nine letters to get Obama. And so that's basically what this is. It's telling you the legend in the key, which, like I said, in, in itself, you know, those are huge, huge skip numbers and by themselves don't mean anything. But where it gets interesting to me is it's like, okay, when they cluster all together like that, 
in this, you know, form in this matrix. That's when it gets interesting to me. Not the fact that you could find these words in the text. You know, that's that's not difficult at all. Mm. But when they come together to form this matrix, it's like wow. I'm really disappointed that I can't find more rude words in these word searches. <laughs> I've been looking for them. It's difficult. Yeah. I've, I've just, it is difficult. I've just found sex experiment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right in the middle. Slap bang in the middle next to the um, second eye in ISIS, starting after the second mm. eye. <laughs> sex experiment. Uh, yeah. yeah so like, it, uh, be, it almost says, a, uh, yeah. Crazy word search, adult word search. <laughs> it almost says it's experiment with but, but it's the wrong way around. You can change your yeah. offset. Yeah. <laughs> you will find interesting things like that. Some of them, some of them I found, um, there are some dirty words in there. Uh, right next to Trump, I found uh, a toilet a couple times, <laughs> which I thought was interesting because he, he had a gold toilet. That's kind of what Trump was known for. He had, he had a yeah. gold toilet. That was that was what he was known for before before he became the most powerful man in the world. Yeah, that was that was the thing. Oh, the guy, the guy with funny hair in the gold toilet. Yeah, <laughs> where he became the leader of the free world. <laughs> yeah, TJ, were, yeah. were you into puzzles as a kid? Did you used to like doing yeah. word searches and crosswords and stuff? I did. Yeah, I liked I liked uh, like I was into Sudoku before it became a thing, <laughs> and I liked word searches, and I was really into codes. I liked ciphers and codes and things like that as a kid i think well i think all little boys kind of go through that phase well they used to skip um, codes in um in the cold war didn't they with you know mm-hmm. and world war ii as spy codes yeah i mean it's, i suppose it's, enigma was more of a not skip code but it was you know cipher use and things yeah based on similar principles i mean skip codes were basically the earliest form of encryption it's not a very advanced form of encryption but it is a form of encryption that's still used today in certain um sections um mm-hmm. But you know, the more uh, the more complicated and advanced it got, the less interested I got. I'm, I'm not very good at math, um, so you know, when I became a teenager, it kind of was like, okay, no, no, it's not so much fun because it's all about math and numbers and things like that. That doesn't really interest me. <laughs> but uh, like, I you know, I think every little boy kind of goes through that phase where they like to write, you know, secret messages and yeah, magic. codes and invisible ink and all that. Spy pens. Yeah, yeah. you'd write uh, write something with a spy pen, and then did you have to shine a ultraviolet light on it or something? I can't remember. Yeah, it's lemon yeah, juice, yeah, yeah. and then you have to put it in the oven for a bit, and it, it browns the lemon juice, and you can read the message. Yeah, yeah, I did that as a kid. Yeah, I had a cool book <laughs> when I was a kid about it was basically all that cool spy stuff you could do, and yeah. it was always super fun. But um, <laughs> I was never really interested. Like, in, I've done, a, I did another podcast where the guy was really into the math aspect of. Of it and I was like, I can't help you there, buddy. I don't understand the math. First of all, I don't even understand why this stuff's in here to begin with. But uh, I really don't understand most of the math involved in it at all, either. Um, he was more knowledgeable about it than me. <laughs> I was going to say, what would you like? What, I suppose, um, what would you like the answer to be as to why these things are in there? Now you kind you of know, said I, the... Yeah, I kind of like the mystery of it. You know. Uh. Um, there's been, <laughs> I kind of kicked around the idea of, you know, Elon Musk has been kicking around this idea that we're all living in a simulation, you know, <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's interesting to think about that. I don't necessarily believe it, but it's interesting to think about it. And it, it kind of comes to this question of, well, is, you know, maybe art and music and literature, you know, maybe that's all a part of the source code that's makes up this, you know, holographic universe we supposedly live in. 
you know, mm-hmm. if you want to go out on a crazy limb. Yeah, you know, maybe. if you start looking into more esoteric subjects and sacred mm-hmm. geometry and you start learning yeah. about the the uh, role that things like ratio and number and geometry play in things like music and art and mm-hmm. biology, um, it makes you wonder, you know, it, it almost sort of uh, hints towards a design of some sort. And, you know, that doesn't have to be the grand design, you know, or the big G. That could be simulation theory. And like you're saying, there's some, yeah. there's a, that's the source code, you know, this harmony ratio number is the source code of the universe. And Yeah, it could be. And then, you know, if, if anybody's ever did any commu- uh, computer coding, you know, you, you do kind of, you kind of hide your notes in the, in the code itself. <laughs> when you're making things, right. <laughs> you know, as, as reminders and jots and to save space, you know, is that, um, is that what your background is? Is it encoding computers? No, no, not at all. Like I studied a little bit, um, but quickly discovered that I don't have the, the brain or the aptitude for it or the, the patience <laughs> for it. Uh, it. It drove me crazy, but I studied it. I did a little bit of coding, nothing, nothing crazy. You know, I yeah. fooled around with Python and things like that. Right. Um, but, you know, there's that theory. And then I think, um, you know, Carl Jung might have might have touched upon it, too, with his his theory of the collective unconscious. Um, you know, if the more we learn about, you know, space and time and quantum theory and things like that, it's time becomes less of a linear thing and more of a we're kind of all there together. And maybe the collective unconscious isn't necessarily kind of what I think Jung might have touched upon the idea of it. Maybe it's less of a shared memory and more of a shared sort of time experience yeah you know that we're all we have encoded in us i don't know if i was going to come up with a theory of of why i kind of lean towards that stuff only because it's interesting to think about um i don't really think it's divine intervention i don't think it's i mean if you know he was a time traveler or anything like that you speak to anyone who's uh, experimented with DMT or ayahuasca or some other psychedelics, they'll they'll give you a similar sort of response about, you know, when it comes to the nature of reality that, you know, we're limited to the visual, uh, the mm. very limited in the visual spectrum of what we can sort of see and that, the you know, maybe there is other stuff going on that, that we're just unaware of. Yeah, I mean, to me that makes the most sense. Um, I, uh, I did acid once and man, I will never do it again. <laughs> it scared the crap out of me. Yeah. I did it once when I was, well, I was pretty young. I was like 13 years old when I did it. Which is probably stupid. That's um, too young. Yeah. Too young. Yeah. And, uh, my, yeah. I kind of have this fear of going crazy and I kind of have this like irrational fear of one day going crazy anyway. So it's probably not a good idea for me to do that. <laughs> but, uh, like schizophrenia runs in my family and things like that. So I always had this, like, you know, one of these days it's going to just hit me. I've kind of gotten past the age now, though. They say if it doesn't hit you within, like, your your 20s, you're safe. All so right. I think I'm good. But back then, um, you know, I kind of had this irrational fear in the back of my mind that one day I was going to go crazy. So probably taking a, you know, psychedelic drug wasn't a good idea. <laughs> but uh, my hallucinations, they were more auditory than, than right. visual when I took it. But I am fascinated by like DMT and, and the new, there's sort of this new uh, sort of, I don't know what you would call it, sort of study and enlightenment of about it uh, that's been going on that, that I think is good. And I think it has legit 
uh, purpose and study. You know, I'm just saying for me personally, mm. I won't do it again. Just because it oh, made me. Matt, come. Matt, didn't you find a story from this week regarding DMT? I don't remember. No, I don't think so. Oh, I thought Did you I? posted it in the group. Oh, <clears> me. Oh, uh, yeah, they're using it. They're looking into using it for uh, you know treatments for uh, disorders. PTSD. So yeah. A lot of a lot of mm. um, psychedelics for for that sort mm. of treatment. Of, of, you know, yeah, they're they're really experimenting a lot with it for uh, like depression and mm. and mental illnesses and things like that. And it's it is interesting that a lot of the people that take those substances. Um, have very very similar experiences like if you take you know in these controlled studies if you take a group of people that don't communicate or talk to each other and then you know you give them this substance it's 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 interesting to think about how because you know brain brain chemistry even though you know we're all we're all very similar but we're all very very different as far as our brain chemistry goes too it's 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 a strange sort of roll of the dice that we get so it's it's interesting that how they all have this kind of shared experience of we're all one, you know, that's, that's a big one that comes up, you know, we're all one, mm. we're all universal we're all consciousness connected. Yeah. And it, it's very much part of that, that whole collective unconscious thing. It's like, well, maybe there is something to that. It's uh, well, maybe they're just that, really screwed up. Something that goes back <laughs> thousands of years as well. And it's only in very recent history that this stuff has been, you know, since the war on drugs, essentially that this, this stuff has gone underground. I mean, Talk, I probably yeah. talk about it every week, but if you go back to ancient Greece and the Eleusinian mysteries, and you know they were getting high on psychedelics, and you know yeah. you can argue that the first sacrament, you know, the first Christian sacrament, was also a related psychedelic. Um, this this stuff is is a common thing throughout our history, which sort of a, an initiation and a, a way of uh, enhancing your consciousness. Which we've yeah. decided you know, now you're not allowed to tamper with your own consciousness or put what what you want in your body anymore. Yeah, it's strange. It, there's interesting information too about it. Have you heard of the stoned ape theory? Yeah, Terence McKenna. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you read that, it makes sense, you know? <laughs> because, like, why are we as humans, um, we don't make a lot of sense as far as why we're the dominant species on this planet like why why haven't like, dolphins become you know just as well i mean they're just as intelligent but like why didn't they become as dominant as us or other forms of apes or you know any other species you know insects or something like that it's it's well we're born pretty much useless you know we if we don't you know we can't walk right out of the womb like animals can we can't fend for ourselves at all somehow we lost all our hair, but we also wouldn't have survived if we didn't kill animals and wear their hair. <laughs> um, it's just, we don't make, like, why did we become the dominant species? It doesn't make any sense. We're weak. We, you know, evolutionary standpoint, we, we don't make sense. <laughs> it's interesting to ponder why we became the dominant hominid, never mind species, because, you know, we had ne- right. Neanderthal, Denisovans, uh, multiple others. Uh, why, yeah. why us, you know? I guess, would, would the anthropologist put it down to the, well, it can't be the opposable thumb because, I mean, the Neanderthals had tools, they had jewellery. They could right. manipulate their environment just as well as we could. So, yeah, yeah. what, what is it? I think that's where the stone ape theory comes in is, is you know, somewhere our specific branch uh, of the species maybe experimented with, um, you know, these psychedelic things that triggered 
this thing in our brains that made it develop faster and made us understand something that those other hominids didn't. And I think that that's, that that's our, our consciousness that we, we became aware of our own existence. Like, you know, animals are aware of their existence, but it's more of an instinctual level. Like they don't, they can't really think about these abstract concepts like death and life and, you know, the linearness of time and things like that. So this idea that, you know, maybe, you know, these psychedelic things that trigger the DMT that's naturally within us has sort of accelerated this, this thing because we wouldn't have survived without our brains. That's the only thing that really kept us alive. Like we would have froze to death because we lost all our hair. If we didn't think, Hey, if I kill that thing and wear its hair, I'm not going to be as cold, you know? And that goes beyond an instinctual type of intelligence and an animal instinctual intelligence. It's, it's more of an abstract intelligence. Um, mm. What so are the things to ponder? Yeah. I was just thinking then when you're talking about sort of the DMT and psychedelics and stuff, one of the things I've read about that's supposed to, one of the theories is that Neanderthals certainly didn't, I read something in a textbook where it looked at sort of like the cranium and the prefrontal cortex and uh, the sort of hypothesized um, a lack of something called theory of mind. Have you ever heard of that? So like you, you're in, you know, your ability to, think like another person. So, you know, recognize, empathize and predict what they're going to do and not do based on your actions and stuff. But then yeah, you can empathize. Yeah. You can kind of link that into the psychedelics and stuff as you were talking then, you know, it would make you more potentially more empathetic to, to do that. Absolutely. And I think it, be, it kind of becomes the difference between uh, like a beginning chess player and an advanced chess player. Like, you know, when you first learn how to play chess as a kid, you know, you're lucky if you can think one or two moves ahead. I'm still that way now if I try to play chess. <laughs> um, you know, you can think of that as, you know, an animal level of extinction, of, or uh, not extinction, but uh, instinct. You know, they have these, you know, they can think sort of like, you know, if I swat at this guy and he ducks, then, you know, I could do this. It's very instinctual. Whereas if you got to think down the road, like six, seven, eight, nine, ten moves ahead, you're at a different level. So it, it kind of, it makes sense, you know, it's mm-hmm. interesting, but Definitely. yeah, it goes back to the concept of time and causality as well to be able to conceptualize what will happen if I do X, Y, and Z seven or eight, mm-hmm. 10 moves ahead that necessitates necessitates. I don't know if that's a word, <laughs> but it, you know, it's necessary to have a concept of causality and consequence and time. Whereas yeah. and like you say, most animals are very, instinctual and they want immediate reward mm. and you can't train a dog like you can train a baby <laughs> <laughs> you could oh, well you could but i don't there's a limit there's a there's a biological limit there i think there is yeah I mean, we don't have claws we don't have you know our, we lost our canine teeth you know most of us yeah. and um you know we so we needed that mind to become the dominant species and to survive you know yeah. Without it, we wouldn't have. We have we have nothing when we were born. You know, we don't have claws. We don't have fur. We don't have teeth. You I'm, know, the idea that we're the dominant species—it's almost laughable. You know. And as you alluded to before, like all all humans are born premature. That's yeah. why that's why we can't. Um, you know, like the gazelle when it's born, it has to be on its feet and running uh, instantly. Otherwise, it's it'll be 
prey. It'll turn into prey, whereas humans are born immature, I believe, because of the size of the cranium getting down the birth canal. And right, that's the why, idea, that's the theory anyway, and, and that's why we're so helpless when we first start yeah, having life. It's crazy, you know, and then you get the whole ancient alien theories of, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe we're designed from something else, you know, whether you want to call it God or aliens or what, but it's just, it, it's, it's, it's just crazy to think about, like, why, why we are how we are and how we got here and and if it is all connected and if, you know, if it is a simulation, it's kind of a stupid one. <laughs> <laughs> They're having a right laugh at us, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't really make, it's kind of a boring simulation, you know, simulation <laughs> watch. You want to be a little more interesting. But, well, this is something we come back to quite regularly, isn't it, on the podcast, sort of the anthro- mm. anthro- anthro- anthropogenic? No, anthropology and, uh, you know what's so special about humans and the nature of consciousness and all this stuff. And mm. um, it's really interesting. I, I, I didn't even consider the simulation theory angle when I was looking at your videos and, and whatnot, but it certainly puts an interesting spin on it for me. Yeah, um, me too. I mean, like I said, if, if I was going to try to come up with a, try a to theory. rationalize it, because yeah, that's what, that's something we it. do as humans, isn't it? We try, we, we try and yeah. rationalize things immediately. Yeah, we do. And that's probably one of our biggest, it could be our biggest flaw and it could be our biggest asset too, you know, depending on who's doing the rationaling, rationalizations and things like that too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, one of the things that I come up with, but I don't know. I don't know why they're there. They're there and they're interesting, but why your guess is as good as mine. Well, I think that's a, a good place to, to wrap oh, up. Yeah. Unless you boys have anything to add, particularly? No, no, I think that was perfect. You're right. It's weird and interesting. (laughs) Yeah, definitely weird. Very weird. Very weird. Like I said, um, you know, check out the YouTube channel. It's got some stuff on there. Uh, You know, the book's available on Amazon. Um, It's actually sold quite a bit in the UK. Uh, You guys are into this kind of stuff. Not sure why. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, if you scroll down, if if you scroll down to the show notes, you'll find links there to uh, TJ's YouTube channel and the Amazon page. And um, well, should we put your Instagram on there as well? Uh, Yeah, just throw whatever you want on there. I'm a part of all the the social medias and all that stuff. Cool. And uh, yeah, lots of crazy, crazy things in there. Uh, This is just you know we just touched upon it. Tip the iceberg. Very much tip of the iceberg. Once you get into the, the George Floyd and things like that, it gets even weirder. So, <laughs> well, appreciate cool. you having me. Cool, yeah. Thanks yeah, for cool. coming, TJ. It's been really nice, nice to, meet to meet you. Cheers, TJ. Yeah, nice to meet you guys too. Um, all the links will be in the description. Um, just hang on the line for us for one minute while we play ourselves mm. out, and um, all we'll, right. we'll catch you on the flip side. Don't touch that dial. No. All right, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. That's our chat. I, yeah, I think we need a new ident for you, Phil. Why? Because you can't be the mother of madness with a beard. Nah. <laughs> I've never heard of the bearded lady. Yeah, I know, but can't say that anymore. I'm thinking I might try and be an extra on Vikings. <laughs> now, now I've had my ears lowered. I've had my head shaved. Yeah. It looks, um, I think it looked quite impressive, actually. It makes your beard pop. <laughs> I've, got the, I've got the range for it, I think. <laughs> so you're Ragnar Lofbrook. 
<laughs> I thought you'd be bigger. That's quite good. Yeah, I could do that. It's Al Pacino. <laughs> oh. Sense of a Viking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, that was our chat with TJ Branham, author of The Lockwood Code. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. We didn't we didn't ask him if he was going to do any more books or if he's done any more books, did we? No, no, we should have done. No. Hey, it, the time goes that quick, you know. You've only so much time, and I thought it went in, into interesting places, you know, yes. into anthropology and mm. uh, simulation theory and stuff. So I, I think it was um, very interesting. Do check out his um, YouTube channel. There's some mm. nice, uh, really nice short videos just to sort of give you a flavour yeah. of what he's looking into. Yes. And, uh, you know, if it piques your interest, go and buy the book. Follow mm. the Amazon link and uh, and check the book out. Mm. So, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for coming, TJ. It was good. Mm. Um, all right. Should we do some housekeeping? Housekeeping. I'm a bit, uh, a bit slow on the uptake tonight. Housekeeping. 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 Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. I'm a blind man. Ugh. Become a producer and support the show. How do I become a producer of the show and support the show? I hear you cry. Send us some uh, action. Uh... <laughs> Go on. That, that was me crying. <laughs> uh... <laughs> First thing, iTunes reviews. iTunes yeah, reviews. We got one. Oh, have we? What have we got this week? Um, so now you sent it. Uh, I think it might be from uh, an Irish listener. Oh, my. We do read read these out still, don't we? Is it in Gaelic? Um, No. No? Is it written Um, by someone who sounds inebriated? um, It's DJ underscore Pistol underscore Pete. Okay. So DJ Pistol Pete. He says, it's great crack. Yeah, but he he says it's, it's great does he say crack as in crack the Irish crack or the... No, it's it's spelt it's not spelt like it's spelt like Bum crack. crack. Yeah. <laughs> or the drug. Um it's great crack and banter and stuff. Pretty dope crack, I must say. Exclamation mark. Pretty dope crack. God. Thanks, D- DJ Pistol Pete. Yeah, so you become a producer of episode one six three. Congratulations. Well Slap it on your LinkedIn. Yes. How else? Uh, how else can you become a producer? Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, tonight's yeah. uh, episode would be a good one for YouTube, so you can have a look at the the, the grids. Yeah. Yes. yes. What did he call them? Matrices. 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 Yes. Uh, yeah. So go to YouTube if you want to see how the sausage is made. Buy some merch from the Amish loot chest. Yeah. Get your, um, put on your fucking muzzle face mask or you're literally a communist mug. Have you sold any face masks yet? Yeah, millions. <laughs> They're the hottest mass that money can buy. This side of Christendom. And uh, the good news is, is that all proceeds from the loot chest are going to St. Catherine's Hospice for the month of December. So yeah. it's a worthy cause. Buy some loot. Yeah. Uh, link in the description. You can email us at the Amazon Inquisition at gmail.com. Stalk us on social media. Tell your friends. Send us news mm. clips, videos, memes for Instagram, death threats. How else can you become a producer? Send us nudes. 
Toss a coin to your witcher, oh valley of plenty, oh valley of plenty. I think you're hitting, hitting the point, Phil, that, uh, and it really bothers me, uh, 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 because <laughs> tosses a coin, go to the find the uh, PayPal button and, um, Give us a one-off, a sign-up for a monthly. You know, it's a couple of quid. Mm-hmm. Cracky, if everyone mm-hmm. did a couple of quid a month, we'd, yeah, uh, yeah. you know... Have well, four quid. We wouldn't be rich, <laughs> wouldn't be rich, but it might... Uh, be... Pay for service and things, wouldn't it? Yeah. Maybe, maybe me, Amish Matt and Amish Ben should start paying two pound a month. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, so I better... Um, Better thank the producers, Anna, for episode yeah. 163. Uh, some, on. some new names on the list this week. Yeah. Uh, we have DJ Pistol <laughs> Pete, Nomi Noz Nodge, Full Metal Keto as Fuck, Sunny One Funny Farm, Aliens and Pyramids and Shit, Baby Kukla, Arj, Tamborista 2020, and Amish Matt. Yes! Oh, you made it. <laughs> 163 episodes in. <laughs> <laughs> in the big leagues yeah. with the producers thanks for Mike. your support yeah. yes thank you Amish Matt you're so amazing and your love I know they are yeah so amazing in their love I've been coming to terms with the fact that I am fucking vegan because <laughs> <laughs> I'm literally a- the best mate <laughs> to crush your enemies <laughs> The dwarf, the carrots, the grape, the homophobe, the wind, the asthma, the grandpa, can't, the number level, the blind man, the fallen on the horizon, the cripple, and the mother of an old friend is here. From hell, no. delightful. Don't get in, never will. Guardians are measured by their ability to come. <laughs> See them driven before you and hear the lamentations of the women. What's my favorite gun? Flaming cum! <laughs> yeah, thanks for your support for another week. Ooh, what's going on in the background with the synths there? <laughs> the, uh, the thank you jingle is getting longer and longer and longer each week. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting some some hot synth action in the background now. We're going into space. <laughs> yeah, simulation theory. Oh God, you gotta love a bit of bit of Lord Shaxo, haven't you? Guardians oh. are measured by their ability to come. <laughs> okay, moving on. Oh dear. <laughs> COVID-19 news. Put on your fucking muzzle if you go to the shop. <laughs> the magic vaccine. A big fat shot in the ass from hell. Oh! You know, it's just, you know, super painful. Like a judgment day and terminating. More, like... More lives this year than any other year. Oh. In the past hundred years. Two million people have to die. This is such a crock of shit. This is Sonny Pickering! Who the fuck's that? Yeah, me! 
got a fuck ton of COVID news this week. Uh, let's start with the pop-up YouTube channel, Unheard, mm. uh, fronted by Freddie Sayers. And uh, this week he did an interview <coughs> with a chap called David Enkelthaler, or Enkelthaler, Enkelthaler. Uh, is the co-director of the T-Gen Research Institute and former state epidemiologist for Arizona. And Ooh. this guy's been looking at the virus from like a genomic level and he's uh, sort of breaking down the genetic sequencing and stuff. And uh, he was talking about mutations. And it seems that from his evidence, there are there has been a significant mutation early on. And his evidence suggests that China and uh, Southeast Asia had a uh, the original strain, and that also migrated west to California. But they've picked up a, a second strain in Northern Europe and the East Coast of America, which got hit really hard. New York has the highest death rate per capita in the world, so uh, it seems that it's not more deadly this different strain, but it causes more upper upper respiratory infections and therefore is uh, transmitting quicker. And this could be part of the explanation why, you know, Southeast Asia got off relatively lightly compared to, say, Northern Europe or Southern Europe, for that matter, Italy, Spain, Belgium and whatnot. Um, So I've got got a few clips. um, And he's a proper mainstream guy, you know, he's pro-mask, Pro social distancing is not, you know, a swivel-eyed loon like me. <laughs> so, um, but the first clip is about shutting down schools, which I found was interesting. Is a valid, uh, it's a valid point based off of the evidence that we have now that uh, we we are actually um, maybe dealing with a virus that we couldn't have completely. Sorry, shutting down schools is next. Uh, he's talking about the mutation and how it affected our response got our arms around uh, with, you know, a variety of mitigation strategies. And maybe the, at least here's in my, my viewpoint is that much, much more effort should have been around focusing on preventing deaths in the people that we knew were going to die uh, because they still died, uh, which to me is the biggest tragedy in all of this. I think the vast majority of those deaths could have been prevented if the focus would have been on protecting them rather than on trying to prevent any spread of, of this virus, which I pretty much don't think is, is containable. Because- so he's suggesting that, you know, it sounds like he might, he's got a sort of similar view to the Great Barrington Declaration in that you should be focusing mm-hmm. your resources on the people who are, who are most vulnerable and that you can't contain it, that the strain that we got over here, zero COVID, was never going to be an option. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Is that what we're still going for? Zero COVID? Is, are we are we not accepting the fact that it's endemic in the population now, like flu or whatever? It's just going to come every year. Well, that doesn't seem. It seems that suppression, ultimately suppression, until the vaccine and then vaccinate everyone. I mean, that's yeah. that's zero COVID, isn't it? We're not yeah, trying but... to live with it. Oh God! Right. Doesn't seem to be. That doesn't seem to be the strategy. I think that's possible, is it? Well, let's uh, go on to shutting down the schools. Publicly, I'm probably a bit of an outlier. Um, privately, behind closed doors, there's a there's definitely been a lot of discussion from the very beginning that you know there's no scientific evidence that shutting down schools actually helps to um, 
to stop a, a pandemic. And that is even for things where kids can transmit the virus effectively. They don't transmit this virus very effectively. Uh, they don't transmit it between each other. They don't typically get very sick from it. Uh, and it'd be harder for them to transmit it to adults. It does happen uh, for sure. But epidemiologists know that. They knew that from the beginning, but that was not a popular uh, opinion to take. Not a popular opinion. I thought they were scientists. Publicly and, and uh, seems seems to have been kind of left to the aside, and we shut down all the schools. I don't think that was a, a, a good thing. We're supposed to be relying on these guys. These are the experts, the epidemiologists, and he's saying that behind closed doors, they all knew that this was the wrong thing to do, but they let it happen anyway. Reluctant, I think. But I think, um... what are you there for? That's what I remember. The, do you know? I remember them saying, you know, at the beginning of it all, why they're not kind of closing schools. Um, and I remember him, Bo, Bojo, answering in a, like in a, a, a conference, news conference, saying that it doesn't make much difference closing the schools. But that's what he'd been told at that time. And that was months ago, Where's you know, pre- before they closed them. Where do you think the pressure's coming from? Pressure came from to close the schools. It's just what I think is what Marlon said. Like you're copying what everyone else is doing. That's what it is. It becomes a pressure in itself because if you don't do what everybody else is doing and people die, they will say, "Well, nobody would have died if you closed schools. Nobody would have died if you had done a full lockdown." And then when you do it, and then when you do it, they say, "Well, if you'd have done it two weeks (laughs) earlier." Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's starting to make more sense, isn't it, now? Well, this is the thing. Is other people don't seem to listen to the same things that we do, though, I suppose, do they? In that this is why this podcast is valuable and you should return <laughs> some value because you won't hear the shit on the BBC or Channel 4 News. It's looking like it's making more sense, isn't it, to let this virus go through everybody that was is not likely to die from it in order to make it less likely that it's, it's passed on to people who are more vulnerable. Mm. Yeah, that's not going to happen, unfortunately. No, no, but, it's you not going to happen. We can it? still talk about it and hope. <laughs> well, we're all going to get vaccinated, or if you choose to have the vaccine, I suppose. That's yeah. the thing, isn't it? It's uh, the anyway, same thing. Let's, uh, let's move on. He goes on to talk about how, um, speaking of the vaccines, he goes on to talk about how mutations might affect uh, long term immunity and therefore efficacy of vaccines. Uh, this is clip two or no, three. Um, what we've learned so far is that people's immune response, um, at least the antibody response, lasts for at least six months. And that's only because the studies have only gone on that long. So we do think there's an ex- there's some amount of time, and it may be a year, maybe a couple of years, but I do think a, a repeated jab uh, is going to be necessary, and that might be on an annual basis. This is kind of significant, isn't it, though? Because at the moment... Um, the vaccination is talked about as the end of the story. Uh, you know, <laughs> hooray, the vaccine has arrived. The magic vaccine, hooray. <laughs> Just stay shut down, hold your breath, we'll get there in the spring, you'll have your jab mm. and then we'll be okay. But really what we're saying to people is this is the beginning of a kind of lifelong struggle against this particular virus. Uh, everyone is now going to be signed up for sort of periodic vaccinations until they die. Uh, And potentially the virus will then be mutating. So they'll need different kinds of vaccines to deal with new strains as and when they arrive. So it's really 
the beginning of a new chapter rather than the end of the story. Uh, yeah, I think... And this is where either Cummings' cost-benefit analysis comes in really handy. The amount mm-hmm. of money we're going to be spending on doing this every year, if it's mutating, when we could yeah. be spending that on cancer research, general public health, cardiovascular disease kills fucking hundreds of percent more people than this does. I know mm-hmm. it's... I'm not undermining or belittling people who've died with COVID or of COVID, but you sort of have to be dispassionate in a way about when, you, when you're making huge public health policy decisions, which is mm-hmm. shit... But you've got to do what's for the greater good, or as Malin would say, what causes the least harm. But anyway, mm-hmm. he's not finished, I don't think. That that's probably true. Although you're, the, the first part was absolutely true as well. Yay, the vaccines. Uh- <laughs> Yay, the vaccines. <laughs> <clears throat> so, yeah, he's, he's sort of, because um, he's been studying the mutations, he's saying probably this is going to be an annual thing. You'll get an annual vaccine. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? It's funny, um, most people probably didn't catch it because um, Patrick Valance was interviewed on the day the first vaccine was given in this country. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that masks, he expects to be around till next winter. <laughs> and masks are a substitute for social distancing, aren't they? You wear a mask where you can't social distance. So right. the implication is that social distancing will be here till next winter. Which will end? Yeah. Which will end in March 2022. Yeah. So get well, you yeah. used to that. Well, you would think um, it would take. How long do you think it's going to take to vaccinate 70 million people? I don't know. You're quite. The U- US is saying that they will vaccinate 20 million by the end of this year. So that's only 10 percent. 15 days or 20. It's, days not, even, it's not even 10 percent. That is it. No, but it's 20 million people. So 70 million people. I don't know, probably by the spring this year, I would say. It depends what kind of vaccination mm. drive they do. But they, they vaccinate God knows how many millions of people every every winter for flu vaccine. Uh, the problem is mm. there's, a, there's an issue with the cold storage and the storage, cold chain. Yeah. Mm. This is a advisor one. Yeah, yeah, it'll be quicker once the Oxford thing comes, yeah. the Oxford one comes, Yeah, whenever that happens. And it depends on take-up as well, I presume. I presume yeah. they'll they'll have a record of who's taken it and who isn't. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll have to. But what happens if only twenty percent of the people come forward for a vaccine? That, that's not going to work. So, oh, you know, it's slightly worrying what what they would have to do in order to increase that take up. Chemtrails. Presumably, Chemtrails. the um, the take up will be highest in the most at risk groups, and it will go down yeah. on a sliding scale depending on what your risk factor is. Yeah, you yeah. think. Well, if if I'm more likely to die in a car crash than of COVID, I'm less likely to take an experimental vaccine with no long term safety data, aren't I? But more likely to never cross a road. <laughs> but that's the fact, isn't it? So people who are older who have a lot of comorbidities, I'm sure will be highly likely to take it and they're the people who are vulnerable so So, and if it's 95 percent effective if uh, yes um having less sniffles um (laughs) um, are you when you get vaccinated are you like free then like these old people these that 90 year old guy who got vaccinated said he was going to hug his granddaughters 
No, we've just said uh, social distancing is going to carry on um, until next winter. So he can't, even though he's been vaccinated, he can't like go to the shops with. I suppose you know. He's... Yeah, you, you're not vaccinated against the law, mate. I think that's the the argument that they would say. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, damn it! But he's got a card. Have you not seen? That's what I was going to say. You've got you, you've got your COVID vaccine cards now, saying I've been vaccinated. I've still got my uh, my old H1N1 vaccine card that I had to. That was more a work thing than, than a national thing. But Col- it'll be the same sort of... Collector's item, thing. that, isn't it? Because they had to scrap yeah. billions of them doses, didn't they? Because no one wanted them anymore. Not ours. Some some other guys. <sighs> uh, last clip from Unheard. And then? I think this might be one of those truth wants to come out moments. <sighs> you know, i got to say, I am, I'm really happy this, pa- this pandemic is happening this year. Uh, in this day and age, because we are able to use 21st century science and technology to respond to this. And with vaccines being invented, developed, tested, trialed, produced, and delivered all within the same year is completely unheard of and, and actually ridiculous. Only Hollywood would have come up with that. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's Hollywood. Hollywood stuff. It's a Hollywood finish to the pandemic. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Not even a streak. Mm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, <coughs> I mentioned the Fat Emperor, Ivor Cummings, before. Uh, he had a bloke on this week, Reed Sheftall, MD. Ooh, wow. Nice. <laughs> Reed Sheftall. <laughs> um, just to give you a rundown of who this guy is, he studied physics at MIT, um, is an MD. He got 99% in his medical exam and 99% in his surgical exam, and his SAT score was 1580. Out of, a poss- out of a possible 1,600. Oh, he's a uh, bit of a nobody then. Yeah. That's a lot of questions. <laughs> Essentially, smarter than us three put together. Well, he just doesn't understand any, any of this COVID stuff. Um, so it's a long, it was like an hour and a half, and this was part one. Uh, part two's coming out soon, but they go through the gamut of all the usual stuff same sort of stuff we've been covering about inconsistencies, weirdness in the data, putting mandatory masks in when the pandemic is essentially dead. It's hibernating till the next winter season and all this lot. Prior death years impacting <clears throat> countries, all the all the rest of it. Um, but there are a couple of things I hadn't heard before, so I just took a couple of clips. Uh, this is clip one. National Institutes of Health. But in 1960... Some explorers wanted to spend the winter in Antarctica. And of course, before they left, there were 12 of them. Before they left, they all had extensive history and physical and um, laboratory investigation for any infectious disease. Are you hearing this all right? The audio's not great. Yeah. So yeah, yeah there's, a, right. there's an expedition going to Antarctica in 1960 and they've all had a physical, this dozen explorers anyway. And for 17 weeks, no problems at all with any of the 12 explorers. And then one guy started getting really bad symptoms of a cold. And within a very short time, six of the 12 men had a cold, a bad cold. So, I mean, that's four months and one week in Antarctica, where it's very cold, and thousands of miles from any other human being. And somehow a virus lasted four months and one week, or it came in on the wind, probably. Weird, huh? 
Have you not heard? The, have you not heard these theories around about no. how the viruses travelled on the wind? Well, I've heard. Yeah. Well, um, Doctor Chanda Wickramasinghe. Yes. The the guy behind Panspermia. Yes. He he suggests that COVID comes from space and it travels uh, on the jet well, streams. His his theory is that there's. I try not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it's a very respected researcher. Kind of, I think, like, so many thousands, tens of thousands of feet up, there's, like, a bionosphere, I think he called it, or it's referred to. And up there, there's thousands of undiscovered viruses. And occasionally one comes down and he thinks, like, it could be COVID or whatever. But one thing that he said on this other podcast I was listening to, uh, Chandra Wickramashinga, um, was uh, yeah. There was a uh, there's a story of a boat in I think in the 19th century or the 18th century, and it set sail and it was at say at sea for like 16 weeks or so, you know a few months, and then everybody started getting ill with flu on board. So his was kind of, that he kind of took that as evidence that something blew in on the wind, like a, a virus blew on on the wind. Someone picked it up and it spread through the boat. Yeah, it's strange, isn't it? How do, how does it yeah. happen? Does anything yeah. uh, spring to mind? What it could have? Have you any ideas, Ben? Global warming, melting permafrost. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing, isn't it? All that methane firing it up into the atmosphere. Yeah. I don't know. It, it raises this question of dormancy, doesn't it? And, mm-hmm. and you know seasonality. Why do coronaviruses and other respiratory viruses always start to peak in September and peak up until uh, December, January, and then and then tail off for the for the spring? It's, it's strange, isn't it? Um, one theory I like is that it could be weakened immune systems. That we're, get, we're getting less, we're getting less sun. Mm. Um, we're staying indoors more. You know, maybe that is a factor. There's probably multiple factors, but. Vitamin C as well in sort of like fruit. Yeah, your diet changed. I mean, I yeah. suppose historic, maybe not so much now, but historically no, your suppose, diet yeah. would have changed a lot more, wouldn't it, in the winter? Mm. Because we were reliant on local produce. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a factor. I don't know. Something to ponder, and it was, wasn't a story I was familiar with, so mm, I would no. share it. Um, I've got another clip from Ivor. What comes next? Oh, we covered the Danish mass study. The, was it last week mm. or the week before this sort of... It's probably a few weeks ago, I think. A few now. weeks ago, they released the Danish uh, study into mass and um, we sort of went over it briefly, but Ivor has some more background information about what was going on with the scientists involved, which I thought bird repeating. Ooh. That's another scandal. So Denmark went ahead to do the only randomised control trial with SARS-CoV-2 and mask use. You know, blinded, It's well, not blinded, but, but randomized. And they got the results a couple of months ago and everyone was waiting for them. And eventually the authors, the lead author was pushed and he admitted that we can only publish it when we find a journal brave enough to. So all journals refused it. Now, if the trial had showed that masks helped in any way, all journals would have fought each other like dogs and cats to get hold of that paper, but they all did not want it. And the team were asked, well, why don't you preprint it and publish it um, as a preprint? 
And basically the lead author admitted that some people on the team were uncomfortable with the findings and they didn't really want it printed. So we know what it said, obviously. Um, But that's uh, censorship of science, of course, which Feynman again would be outraged by. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's like you said last week about um, the scientists flying too close to the sun and getting involved in politics, you know. And not wanting to, you know, the the purest form of the scientific method. You know, if you find a a result, you should be publishing it and be damned yeah, good with or bad. be damned yeah. with the consequences. Mm. This is the best evidence we have. You know, political considerations should not be playing a part in this in science. You should not even be considering whether something is good or bad. It just is. No, because or that's, it isn't. I guess. And that's it. How how do these guys separate themselves from the political paradigm that they're flung into? You know, this is the thing. It's probably easier said than done. And you know, they're reliant on funding. They're reliant on yeah, politics. You know, mm-hmm. um, questions about scientific dogma. You know, it raises interesting questions. But I th- I thought that extra information was useful mm. as we only covered it briefly. But yeah, the. Like you said, that the sort of they've lost, they've sort of lost track of what they're there for. Was it? He found it was unheard, wasn't he? Yeah. And he said it was statistically insignificant. Was that what it was for the for the wearer? For the wearer, but um, not for the people. Well, Freddie asked about mm. will it protect other people, and he said, "Well, we didn't look into that. That, oh, right, that okay. wasn't the aim of the study. It was." They were only, they were only analysing whether there was a, a benefit to the wearer to wear mm. a mask, and it was statistically insignificant. Mm. Uh, anyway, moving on, I've got a, a quick clip from last week's show. Actually, I've got a callback, and it was when we were talking about remdesivir. Uh, okay, and uh, this is what was said. Um. Who knew that the Gilead had taken over from Donald Trump's administration? <laughs> I've handmaidens next. Yeah. Well, I've handmaidens next. What's um, what's special about the handmaidens in the Handmaid's Tale? They can have babies. They're fertile. Yeah. Okay. They've got cool hats. They've got their ears trimmed. Um, sometimes they have to wear masks. Yeah. I would say the primary factor is that they can procreate. That's why they're so valuable. So let's move on to this clip. A Facebook post quickly spreading online claims a top Pfizer researcher is raising concerns about a potential COVID-19 vaccine. Bob Segal with our Verified team looked into the claim that the vaccine could impact fertility. Yes, this is the question that's been flooding our Verify inbox. Does the COVID-19 vaccine cause sterilization in women? And this is why so many people have been asking that question. It's a Facebook post that's widely circulating right now, claiming a head researcher for vaccine manufacturer Pfizer is warning that the company's new COVID vaccine would cause sterilization in women. Who would be this uh, researcher from Pfizer? Facebook post. The Facebook post was a blog reporting on a letter sent to the EMA this week by one Dr. Mike Eden. Oh, Eden. Oh, I read that letter. I couldn't. 
Here's what we know about that social media post. Michael Yaden did work for Pfizer until 2011 in the company's Allergy and Respiratory Research Unit. That's according to the British doctor's LinkedIn profile. And Yaden, along with a German doctor, did send a letter to the European Medicines Agency asking the EMA to stop clinical trials of Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine. They said the vaccine might block a protein that's important in the formation of a placenta. And the doctors claim that could possibly result in vaccinated women essentially becoming infertile. While the social media post implies the vaccine will cause infertility, that's not what the doctors actually said. Their petition raises questions, using phrases like, if the vaccine works a certain way, it could lead to infertility. Is that a real possibility? Well, 13 News reached out directly to Pfizer for answers. Oh, we're going to hear from the goose's mouth. The company's response, not exactly helpful. Simply stating, we are not commenting on that. No comment. (laughs) Uh, Interesting note from the trials, if you've read what scant data there is from the trials, um, you weren't allowed to take part if you were um, either pregnant or looking, and you can't um, conceive within 28 days of the end of the trial. Isn't that kind of standard? Standard, yeah. Yeah. For this kind of thing. Yeah, so there's no data, you see. So, and the trial hasn't finished, has it? So when the trial eventually finishes, 28 days after that, trial trial petition participants will then presumably be able to get on with their life and uh, we'll find out then if they can conceive. (laughs) It's an issue with the spike protein. He has. Um, there's a, a compound, I think it's called syncytin, uh, which is is crucial in the formation of a placenta. And um, Yeadon is concerned that the um, vaccine could cr- create uh, an antibody response that would eliminate this syncytin and prevent the <laughs> creation of uh, placenta. Oh, uh, that's funny, if you go to Snopes... It says, Snope says, false. And do you know why it says false? Because the Facebook blog used the word sterile instead of infertile. Fucking hell. And they're they're medically different terms. So sterile, you can't conceive. Infertile Mm -hmm. means you can conceive, but you can't carry a a pregnancy to the end. Um, and, And they also called it false because they stated that he was... Um, head of research at Pfizer when he wasn't. He was head of research. He's former head of research of respiratory. <laughs> but yeah, false. Completely false. Taking a note, it's nothing to see here. <laughs> there's, a, there's something in the Lancet here. There's a study going on about um, impaired <clears throat> spermatogenesis in COVID-19 patients, so male uh, fertility. Yeah, no, it's only, They're only saying they're looking into it and they're not suggesting that anything's been found. No, well, we. this is the, the problem with it. There is no long-term safety data, hmm. unfortunately. So there is a risk involved in that. And, you know, hmm. I mean, I've, I'm quite happy with my two kids. It doesn't bother me. But, you hmm. know. No. Uh, giving it to people who are at low risk, I think, is pretty... Pretty. I, I don't know if reckless is too, too strong a word. Maybe not. Risky, potentially risky. Mm. Yeah, haphazard. Um, 
the next one, the next story is fucking crazy. <laughs> this is uh, more crazy. Oh my god! Yeah, sticking with the vaccine, we got some bad news from Scott Morrison, Prime Minister of Australia, <laughs> uh, regarding Australians' vaccine drive. All he really wanted for Christmas was a local vaccine, but... The University of Queensland vaccine um, will not be able to proceed. 50 million planned doses scrapped after triggering false positive results for HIV. As in science, things don't always go right. It's certainly a tough day for, for the team. The UQ vaccine applied a molecular clamp closing the coronavirus spikes using an HIV protein which falsely triggered infection markers. That's not reckless, is it? Injecting people with a HIV protein? Sounds a bit sus to me. Everybody who had the vaccine uh, did show some level of false positive result. One of them, Mel Stott. I can totally understand where they're coming from, but I still have no concerns about my health or anybody else's health. The vaccine was proving effective in trials and the participants were at no risk, but... The risk to vaccine confidence was the principal issue here. Vaccine expert Fucking Professor bullshit. Nikolai Petrovsky says he raised the alarm early. Our feeling was it, it, it was too experimental a technology to be rolled out. No warnings were ignored at all. Professor Murphy says the risk of false positives was always known but considered small. Unfortunately, it just became a bigger problem than anyone had anticipated. Oh, what a shame. We just didn't anticipate it being such a big problem. But why, why would you use a HIV protein, Ben? It, is, it, is it the right shape? It coats the virus. Uh, yeah. Right. And then stops it going into other cells and taking over other cells. Right. What did he call it? The, the, he's just mentioned it then. I can't remember what I do. About. That's uh, it's CSL, isn't it? Who've done that? What fucking the, got me about this is that he, came, he comes out and said, we had to stop it because we were worried that this would affect vaccine yeah. confidence. Yeah. How fucking stupid do they think we are? No, the reason you stopped is that if you give this to the entire population, everyone in the population would test positive for HIV. Then how do you know who the fuck actually has HIV? That's why it was stopped. It's fucking insane. That that is why it was stopped. I think think that's, that's what they've said, but this politician guy... Fucking guinea pigs or what? <laughs> it's just fucking so, she's gonna That woman, those people on that, are they going to have um, test positive for forever? HIV forever, who, yeah. Or is it going to get processed out? Who fucking knows? Who fucking cares? <laughs> we don't care. We don't care. It's, an ex, it's just an experiment, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's like playing God. Mm. Well, you do. I mean, what about what, what about that crazy <laughs> fucking uh, ex, the, the drug trial? Have you not seen that documentary? Oh yeah, oh, that's awful. It's and they fuck, watching that, and they kill people by accident because he like gives them ten thousand times the dose by accident, like the decimal points in the wrong place. We, we talked about it. A couple it. of guys are still yeah. fucked up real bad. Mm. Um, I think people died, didn't they? Yeah, people yeah. did die, yeah, but some of the survivors have uh, been messed up. Wasn't it that they didn't wait, wait or maybe some new 
Yes. Uh, rules were wait. Yeah, they, yeah. So you have to wait, give the first guy yeah. the injection, yeah. then wait, you know, yeah. 20 minutes, yeah. give it 20 minutes, <laughs> then do the next one. Oh, yeah, he's still alive after 19 and a half minutes. Fucking jab the next one. Fucking mad, isn't it? Well, they did. They did. They basically, in that trail, he just waited well, did one, two, three, four. <laughs> and then, like, by the time he got to, like, the, the tenth one. First one with death. Yeah, the first one was going crazy and they couldn't figure out what was. Fucking nuts. Anyway, it, I, just, I just thought that was wild, the HIV one, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's bizarre, that isn't it? Let's uh, let's get off vaccines. The okay. uh, Office for National Statistics got themselves in a bit of hot water this week. Uh, I got a clip from the Malin Baker show. Previous guest, Malin Baker, he's going to give us a bit of a rundown on it. Mm-hmm. This was the week where the first vaccinations took place. Government ministers even got tearful about it. Others perhaps got tearful when it was noticed that the official statistics on which the most recent lockdown just ended was based have been revised downwards. When the decision was taken for lockdown, the latest survey from the Office of National Statistics was showing that the incidence of COVID in the community had surged from 4.3 per 10,000 people to 9.52 on the 17th of October. But in the latest survey, dated 4th of December, the ONS had revised those historical numbers. Now the 17th of October is shown back down at 4.89 people per 10,000. So was that second lockdown an unnecessary self-inflicted wound? Strange, sort of going back and retrospectively changing the numbers. Mm. You would hope that they would produce two data sets. I'll just just open another tab in Excel <laughs> and, you know, have your, you know, your undoctored figures and your doctored figures, the ones we said at the time and then the ones that we've gone back and changed retrospectively. It would make it easier to, you know, when the public inquiry comes, if, uh, you know, we had two sets of data, the ones that were, that people actually made decisions on based at the time. And then, you know. Someone will be gathering that. Many, many thousands of people will be gathering that. You've you got to hope so, aren't you? Gotta hope so, because we need the data. Otherwise, what you you can't learn anything. In fact, Malin talked about this when we had him on the show. I'm sure he did. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you gotta you, the accuracy of, what, of your data collection has to be paramount if you if you hope to learn anything. Otherwise, we're going to be back here again when the next new novel coronavirus or influenza strain or whatever comes, and we need to learn the lessons. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, the Guardian, the Guardian broke a big story this week about corruption between the WHO and the Italians. Mm. Should yeah. I, uh, uh, this week, yeah, I've got a little clip, a little report. The World Health Organization has been accused of conspiring with Italian Health Ministry to remove a report on COVID-19. The report revealed the country's mismanagement at the beginning of the pandemic. The publication of the report was intended to prevent future deaths. The report was by WHO scientist Francesco Zambon, and it was to provide information to countries yet to suffer a major impact. So this is early on. It's in May. And the WHO is asked to produce a report as the thing is breaking so that we can learn learn lessons and get information to other countries quickly to help with their preparedness. And this is what they decided to do. Of the pandemic. According to reports by The Guardian, the document was published on the 
website of the World Health Organization on the 13th of May before being taken down the very next day. The report said Italy's pandemic plan had not been updated since 2006 and that due to being unprepared, the initial response from hospitals in Italy was improvised, chaotic and creative. So the report was very derogatory towards the Italians' pandemic prepared, preparedness, sort of, mm. um, ma- ma- mechanics, mechan- mechanisms. Uh, but it was taken taken down 24 hours later. So fuck those other countries who haven't had it yet. We're going to take this down. There must be a good reason for this. It must be statistical anomalies or incorrect reporting. Why would they do this when there's lives at stake? The report highlighted that because of this, it took time for formal guidance to become available. The document was allegedly removed at the request of Ranieri Guerra, who's the World Health Organization's Assistant Director General for... So Assistant Director General at WHO says, whoa, you've got to remove this. Okay, let's find out why. Mm-hmm. Of strategic initiatives. He was the Director General for Preventive Health at the Italian Health Ministry and was responsible for updating the pandemic plan as well. So the part of the report criticised Italy for not updating its pandemic preparedness framework since 2006. The guy who was responsible for that now works at the WHO and he happens to be the guy who decided to pull this report. Uh, Guerra is also among the scientists on the Italian government's COVID-19 task force. He's also on the Italian government's task force. Oh, no. The World Health Organization... I mean, it's just... It absolutely stinks. It reeks. Mm, I think... Has he not been charged with something as well? Are they trying to get him? Uh, He should be charged with crimes against humanity. If this is true. Yeah. Well, yeah, I remember saying when it was kicking off in Italy, we were talking about them just not following like basic quarantine and, you know, guidance and stuff <coughs> at the time. When it was like wait, in Bergamo or wherever. I don't know if I've played the clip on the show before, but you can find news articles from 2017-18 of Italian's health service being overrun in mm-hmm. December. Oh, it, yeah, it gets yeah. overrun every just year. like ours. Yeah. It's yeah, a if we lot. went to the NHS, is everything. Yeah. I think there's degrees of shitness. Okay. <laughs> and I think the Italian one is particularly shit when it comes right. to dealing with winter pressures. Okay. Uh, but that was the, the, the trigger, wasn't it? That was the springboard for locking down Europe, mm. was Italy. And, and Spain to a degree as well. <clears throat> Madrid. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just it just stinks of corruption and uh, cover back covering your own well, back. Just, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? He's covering his own back because he hasn't. He's gone. Oh fuck me! I was supposed to update that like ten years ago, and I never did. Yeah, it was it was kind of my job <laughs> that I didn't do. Yeah. But you know, he moved on from there for to a cushy job at the WHO. So quids in. Yeah. Fuck you know. Mm-hmm. You know it just in. Oh, sorry. Pardon? No. Just on the. Uh... On the healthcare slowdown and stuff. In the winter of 1999 to 2000, the NHS almost ground to a complete halt because of an outbreak of flu. Almost all non-emergency operations were cancelled, and the country at one point was left with just two intensive care beds, with patients shuttled hundreds of miles in search of somewhere to stay. 
Wow. Yeah. 99, 2000. That's from a report, again, in The Guardian, 27th of October, 2001. I had pretty bad tonsillitis that winter. (laughs) It's your fault, Matt. Yeah, I mean, it's the nature of our health services that it's it's designed to run at capacity. I don't think we're down to two intensive care beds now, though, are we? No, I mean, they they always have, I think they always aim to have some sort of headroom, particularly going into... 10%, isn't it, I think? 5 to 10%. And they expect mm. to use the majority of that headroom. Mm-hmm. That's what it's there for. Yes. Um, yeah. I don't know. Strange one. The big thing is excess deaths. The big mm. thing that we'll be able to look at in the future is excess deaths. Mm. And uh, whether whether all this was worth it. Well, Let's see if it drops as well next year. Well, it dropped last year and the year before. This mm. is why we had so much... It's not a nice phrase to use, but dry wood. Mm-hmm. And it was the same with Sweden. Sweden had a very soft uh, 1920 season and mm-hmm. the season before, same as we. Now, people say, people say, oh, Sweden, look at the other Nordics. Look at Finland and Denmark. They had much harsher seasons than Sweden in the two previous winters. That's, what, that's a, a big factor in the disparity. Mm-hmm. And so did we. But you got to look in the, at these things in the round, and the more I look at it, the more I think government government intervention is not a major factor in your your outcome. But mm. that's just my thinking. Uh, I think we've got the last one. Last one from COVID. Bit of a uh, bit of karma. Yeah, got a bit of karma coming. Bit of karma coming for Kay Burley. Some news about Sky News now. A small number of Sky News staff attended a social event in London last Saturday evening, during which COVID guidelines were breached. As a result of an internal review, Sky News presenter Kay Burley has agreed to be off-air for six months, and political editor Beth Rigby and correspondent Inzaman Rashid have agreed to be off-air for three months. All of those involved regret the incident and have apologised. Everyone here at Sky News is expected to comply with the rules and the company takes breaches of this very seriously indeed. Was she reporting on herself then in a third person? No, that wasn't wasn't Kay Burley with the article, no. She was having her 60th. Yeah, yeah. yeah, she had all her journal mates round for a party. You're only 60 once. Yeah, Yeah, you're only 60 once. You know, philosophically... I sort of agree with her. I think you should be able to have a 60th birthday party if you want. The problem is, is that I wasn't hounding Dominic Cummings day after day after day yes. after day. Yeah. You know, this is where it, this is where the problem is. Mm. It's almost as if they don't really care about the COVID and they're just going to do what they want. Yeah. And then they go on TV and, you know, give us the daily deaths and the daily cases. It's very strange, yeah. strange isn't it? It's a job, isn't it? It's a job, but you know, if you if you're uh, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. <laughs> but you know, if you live by the mask. I think she, she should resign. To be honest, seeing as that's what she was calling for for anyone else, the SNP, uh, the SNP MP, or Dominic Cummings, resign, resign. Do you not think he should resign? Well, are you going to resign now, Kay? Mm. I don't think so. She's got Channel Four news. <laughs> Yeah. Um, one more story. I couldn't find a clip in English for this story. So I'll have, okay. have you heard? Of, 
<laughs> Have you heard about the Austrian MP? No. Oh my god! This uh, Austrian MP was doing a, giving a speech in front of the Austrian Parliament, and halfway through his speech, he pulls out one of the government procured rapid tests, right. undoes it, puts it in his glass of Coca Cola, car- yeah. carries on with his speech, and then it comes out positive. Fuck's <laughs> sake! <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> Make of that what you will. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you've seen what Coke does to a penny, so I'm not surprised it took up a, yeah. <laughs> a serological test. Well, it's a funny thing about the PCI test. You know, the guy who invented it, Kerry Mullins, there's a, I should have pulled the clip, but I didn't think we'd be talking about the PCI tonight, but there's a clip of him saying, like, essentially, if you, if you increase the cycles enough, you can find anything in anything. He yeah. said it makes you question your sort of philosophy of reality and and look wow. and look what? and look to like Eastern mysticism, <laughs> you know. Like you can magnify if you magnify enough, you'll find anything you want. There's only well, there's only four bases in DNA, isn't there? You know a, what I'd I'd like CTG. You know what I'd, I'd like them to do is just a one-off experiment. How many how many PCR tests do we do a day? Do you think maybe hundred thousand now? No more, more than that. Yeah. All right, two hundred thousand. So, I mean, and it's about 140 quid, isn't it? 140 quid? So, 140. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, the, the rapid test is, um, I think it's £3. Oh, right, okay. And that's 95% effective rather than 98. So, right. yeah, it would make more sense to do two rapid tests 24 hours apart than a PCR that takes three or four days. But, you know, I'm not a Tory with mates who make PCR tests, am I? So, uh that's not going to happen, is it? But, you know, it got me thinking, if they just, just for one day, just them 200,000 tests, if they would make you do two swabs and test one for COVID-19 and one for HIV and see what the results are. <laughs> and see if we end up with, you know, oh, cracky, we've got 15,000 uh, HIV cases today. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It might work. It'd be an, it, I think it's a worthwhile experiment. <laughs> yeah. It's got legs. <laughs> oh dear. Well, should we move <sighs> should we move on from COVID? I've only a couple of little bits of miscellaneous yeah. stuff. I've yeah. not looked at the time. Oh we're not trying to squeeze an episode of the crown in before bed. <laughs> oh, give over. You waster. Why are you wasting why are you wasting your life on that bullshit? No, I've got to, I've got to get through as much as I can before cold midwife comes back for a Christmas special. <laughs> God. Do you know, no one, no one got to the deathbed and thought, you know, I wish I'd spend more time watching Netflix. Yeah, because no oh. one's died yet of the Netflix generation. Insert your useless nonsense pastime. You know, it doesn't have to be Netflix. Anyway. <laughs> well, yeah. I, yeah, I wonder if anyone said, I wonder if, uh, I wish I'd spent more time masturbating. You have quite a few priests, you would hope. Uh, no, I think they probably masturbate more than the average. They're not allowed, are they? No, they just fuck kids instead. <laughs> not, not to my knowledge. No, allegedly. <coughs> uh, let's do some miscellaneous stuff. Uh, breaking news, just in. Okay. Uh, yeah, Hunter Biden is in trouble. The American media this week reported the fact that federal prosecutors are probing the taxes and other conduct for one Hunter Biden. Why is that of interest? Seems like this 
Hunter Biden may have been up to a few bad things, probably should be investigated. Except, of course, before the election, the media were steadfastly refusing to report on investigations into <laughs> Hunter Biden. The New York Post was banned from Twitter for publishing a story about Hunter Biden. Facebook decided to downgrade stories in advance of a fact check. The media suggested the New York Post story was Russian disinformation. <laughs> Even though Hunter Biden didn't actually deny the substance of the story as reported. I covered the story on this channel. I even asked the question. I wonder if they'll suddenly discover the story after the elections passed. I literally asked that question. Mm. <coughs> that was... This popped up on my new stuff. Yeah, that was it's Malin Baker, pesky. by the way. Uh, previous guest, Malin Baker. Check out the Malin Baker show again for more yeah. impartial news. Yeah, but yeah, he, I mean, we we talked about it, did we not? Mm, yeah, this dodgy man. Ukraine thing. Was it not something else that he's been arrested for? It's not the Ukraine thing, is it? He's he's fucking filthy. <laughs> he's got all sorts of shit on him. Is it the coke fiend as well? Coke or crack? I can't remember. Or it might have been yeah. meth. Both. The point is, and Malin makes a really good point. Um, newspapers aren't obliged to report on a story. Right. No. So a newspaper like the New York Times doesn't have to run a story on Hunter Biden. Um, the New York Post did. The problem is, is that social media, Twitter in particular, actively suppressed this. Yes. And that is a very dangerous place to be in. Mm. You can't trust them. Yeah, big day, big tech well social media again it's it's yeah. it's political it's become a political mm. thing they they hide behind being a platform and mm. they're not a platform they're not a platform anymore they're a publisher and they're publishing mm. what you see and decide on what you should be able to see and what you can't and that's why i predict an exodus from platforms like twitter and youtube and uh facebook because you just can't trust them. You can't trust them to tell you the truth. And, and you know, it's a very dodgy place to be in. I mean, they probably, I'm sure they censored Trump. Trump's tweets, tweets about Hunter Biden. Twitter. Uh, they probably put fact checks over it and all sorts. They do all sorts of this meddling. It's meddling. And they're not supposed to be doing that. Twitter shouldn't be in the position of deciding what is the truth and what isn't. Yeah. They should just be a publisher. A uh, platform. A platform. If it's truly a platform, then it, it wouldn't. Uh, which is the point you're getting at. Yeah. I understand. I mean, YouTube's um, original slogan was broadcast yourself. Mm. Well, it's not now. It's broadcast yourself, but play by our rules, and if we don't like what you broadcast, we'll remove your right to broadcast yourself. Mm. I've uh, signed up for Odyssey this week. We're going on Odyssey. Which is What's a YouTube that? alternative, and it's right. linked it's linked to crypto. All right. So I think I've got the first video up there. It was pretty painless. So uh, yeah, if you're listening, um, check us out on Odyssey. I'll probably put the link in the show notes and uh, try and that get get that going because they don't censor people essentially. So, cool. I'll go topless next week. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't. Um. Nigella, Nigella Lawson's back in our screens. Oh yes, yeah. Talk about a class act. 
Listen to how she pronounces the word microwave. <laughs> now, I'm aiming for quite a solid mash at this stage, but I still need a bit of milk, full fat, which I've warmed in the microwave. The microwave. In the microwave. The microwave. She's never heard of a microwave before, has she? It's, it's, she a, it's a joke. Yeah. It's like Trigger from... Well, only Phils and Horses and Dell when he's doing his mm. embellishments of words. That's from only Phils and Horses. Uh, anyone who's listening, he might be under 90. Right, moving on. That's it? Yeah. Done. I didn't get Is any more clips. Over. I saw the clips. We raced, raced through that. It's only seven Hang on a minute. Ten. Where's my clip? You didn't, oh, you didn't produce a clip. Where's my clip? What was the clip you produced? I sent, I sent the one, the two clips. In fact, I sent one with our favourite health secretary on, Hatman Cock, being grilled by peers. Oh, we all, last week. No, and also um, a story about Trump. A story or a clip? It was a clip as well on the website. If you press the link. They said he's he's gonna he's the first president to be still executing people. Well, right, first of all, yeah. first of all, he reinstated federal executions. I think they hadn't taken place for seventy years. I might be wrong with that. And he's the first president for one hundred and thirty years to still execute people in between. Um, yeah. In between in the transition period, basically. Okay, let's find out. Erecting a cordon to the death penalty. Oh. Several protesters demonstrated outside the US Department of Justice on Thursday, demanding an abrupt end to federal executions. I personally have experienced um, taking a mother down to, to the death row in Ohio as she uh, watched her son being executed. I wasn't in the room with her, but she fainted. She fainted watching her child get killed. And so isn't she also a victim of the death penalty? Protests were sparked by the execution of 40-year-old Brandon Bernard for a crime he committed as an 18-year-old. Bernard was convicted in 2000, along with accomplice Christopher Vialva of carjacking and murdering Todd and Stacy Bagley on an army base in Texas. Vialva was on death row for 18 years. No, he was 18 when he killed these people. So and now he's 40, so he's 22 years he's been on yeah, death row. Yeah. Oh, he's convicted in 2000, it said. So All right, so he's been on 20, 20 years. years too. Yeah, loads of them have been on shopping. for decades. Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's yes. hard legally to kill well, people. This is, yeah, you might say it in the, in the article. Unless you label them a foreign combatant, then it's really easy. Just drop a drone, <laughs> hellfire well, missile. This is what the thing is, is starting to question whether or not it's financially viable because it costs so much to battle it legally, plus it's really difficult to get a hold of the drugs to kill them. Mm. People don't want to supply them. There's a shortage, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, whether they're it's on, worth it. They're on about bringing back the firing squad. Because, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah no like way. a year ago. Yeah, because they were struggling to get hold of that chemical compound, whatever it is, that that, that is part of the... Li- and not just that, there is a, um, a long... 
uh, track record of lethal injection going wrong. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? Gets suspended all the time, don't they? Yeah, and, and just people getting really fucked up and surviving or being, you know, just mm. comatose and, you know, just horrible things happening. So, yeah, they were talking about bringing back the firing squad a while ago. Mm. Is it a myth that the um, in the firing squad, only one of them has live ammunition? The others have blanks. So none of them know who's killed the uh, who's killed the guy. I've heard that story. I don't know if there's any truth to it or not. I don't know. It kind of makes sense. I mean, what happens if you go, well, I'm not going to aim at him? And you've got the bullets. Oh, yes. You lose your job, don't you, on the firing squad? (laughs) Yeah, great. Do you get one shot well? If if you don't die from firing squad, is that it? It's like if you... Like hanging. uh, Yeah, the the guillotine breaks or the the trap door doesn't open on the hanging. Yeah, out of God, I would say so, yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing... Go on. I was just going to say the way the best I was watching I think I might have talked about this before on here but the best way um, to kill someone or the most humane way seems to be um, nitrogen poisoning nitrous oxide because you basically euphoric when you die so why don't you just do that why have they not thought of this before I don't know there must be a reason I don't know is it, probably, is it flammable or something? You like flooded chamber with it. Once you've anesthetized someone, you can pretty do much, you could do pretty much what you wanted to finish them off, surely. Yeah. No, never mind having to have whatever that pen, pentabarbital. I don't know if that's a is that truth serum or something. I suppose the, I think the thing is, is it probably has to be in law, doesn't it? What you have to use in the process or something, maybe I don't know. Yeah, there must have been a precedent. Precedent. So at some mm-hmm. point, and then to sort of change that mm. opens another legal can of worms then, doesn't it? Mm. Because it's a big deal, the state having the right to execute its citizens. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's sort of, I uh, mean, it's, not, it's not cool. No. Well, the thing <laughs> is, is, I know I'm saying that like, Trump's the first president to kind of execute these people I mean, 130 years, but if you if you actually read what these people have done, um, I, I stopped after a bit because it's like child murderers and all this kind of fucked up stuff that they've done. But this guy, really, play the rest of the story and see what he says. Couple at close range, and soon after, Bernard set the car on fire. But while government experts determined that the fire ultimately caused the death of Stacey Bagley, defence attorneys argued it was never proven. The case prompted over 500,000 people to sign a petition urging President Trump to intervene with reality television star Kim Kardashian among those revealing her devastation at Thursday's outcome. Bernard became the ninth federal inmate to be executed since July, when the Trump administration resumed federal executions after a 17-year hiatus. I think the number that we've seen from the Trump administration is astronomical compared to um, what we've seen from previous administrations combined. I think it's clear that they're trying to rush the execution process. It's been on hiatus for 17 years. Yeah, so George Bush was the last, that's it. It wasn't 70, 70. Fucking weird flex. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Executions during a presidential transfer of power are particularly rare, with the last taking place in the 1890s. Four more, Mm. including one on Friday, are planned in the weeks before President-elect Joe Biden's inauguration. 
that's it. So yeah, that. Um, but when you read about, it, I think it must be in the article there. Mm. It kind of says that uh, there was two of a few of them. The other one's been executed already. Who shot them? But he, this guy, was eighteen, and he set fire to the car. Um, but um, they kind of say the prosecution say that because there was scorch marks or something, smoke inhalation marks on the girl, that potentially she was still alive when he set fire to the car. Basically, that's the defence. Uh, prosecution said that about him. <clears throat> so that's and the defence refuted basically say that it's not possible to say that. One of the big things about the death penalty is is that well, there's loads of fucking problems with it, but you only have to get it wrong once, don't you? Well, it's been wrong loads of times, isn't it? So and it will be going forwards. Once it, I think the thing is, is he he acknowledges that you know he did something wrong, but there's an argument, I suppose, in his case, well, and more. There's an argument in his case for him to stay in prison for the rest of his life rather than be executed. And he went and went back to like the prosecutor and some people on the jury. So I don't know if it's one of those states where the jury decides whether or not you have the death penalty. Mm. Um, and they and five said he, they would change their mind. The prosecutor said he wouldn't go for the death penalty anymore for him. So yeah, it's easy to say that, isn't it? But. <clears throat> Still did horrible things. It doesn't seem like the what a civilized society would do. No, you'd be frozen in time and then released in two hundred years. Do you know, if you haven't seen it recently, go back and watch Demolition Man <laughs> <laughs> because it's so true with what's happening now. Yeah, it was so predictive. Yeah, and politics and. Maybe whoa, the oligarchy. Yeah. <laughs> we should get the script. Yeah, do do some uh, e- ELS. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna have to email TJ now, aren't I? Yeah, can you get a, a data file of the Demolition Man script? John Spartan, you've been fined five credits for breaching the verbal <laughs> moralities code. Yeah. Uh, to use the three seashells. <laughs> um, do you know what Sandra Bullock's uh, character is called? Uh, no. Huxley. Oh. <laughs> Aldous. Yeah. After Aldous Huxley. And uh, the, um... There were no mugs. They knew what they were doing when they, uh, when they were writing that script. It's actually... All right, it's got, you know, explosions and Wesley Snipes and stuff, but <laughs> Wesley Snipes is fucking brilliant in it. Simon Phoenix, Phoenix that rises from the flames. Yes. There's all sorts of, of really clever stuff in that film, and it bears watching. Um, I've watched it for years. Maybe I'll, I'll look it up. I'll tell you, yeah. uh, it's a m- media studies wet dream, that film. <laughs> Did you, did you deconstruct it for media studies, film? No, because I didn't really go to media studies. That, there was an issue with media studies, Philip. Yeah, the issue was I didn't want to fucking be there. <laughs> Weren't we all in the same class at one point? I don't know, really. We were. I did, I did, I did media studies for two weeks and then thought, oh, fuck this, yeah. let's do a real subject. <laughs> <laughs> There's a great uh, rant in Demolition Man by the... Uh, Edgar Friendly, who's played by that comedian. 
And, is he uh, the is he the is he the kingpin Edgar friendly? No, he's he's the underground leader, the leader of the rebellion. Oh, all oh, right, okay. And uh, I've been meaning to clip it. I was gonna, I was, I was, I had it on my list this week, but we had that much stuff. I had that much stuff to clip. I didn't. Uh, I've sort of. It's like an evergreen. It's always going to be relevant. So <laughs> I'm saving it for a slow week. So maybe next week you'll hear Edgar Friendly's rant right. about the underclass in San Angeles oh. in, in the year twenty. When was it set? Twenty. It was set like ten years in the future, isn't it, Duff? No, it was more than that. No, it's in not. like a hundred years. No way. No way. It's like twenty twenty. <laughs> But yeah, it's, um, a Christmas special next week, isn't it? Yeah, I was going to say, is it is it Secret Santa next Sunday? Twenty seventh, twenty seventh. What do you mean it'll have to be? It's the last one before Christmas, right? Yeah. Nope. Uh, well, it oh. is. It is, but it's not. <laughs> it's not the Christmas special. <laughs> if, if you looked at the Google calendar, you would see that next week oh, we have right, a twenty okay. seventh. We've got a swap cast with. Deborah gets red pilled next week. Oh shit! Yeah, oh, for God's sake. Oh, I'll tell you what—a great concept for a podcast. It's on Netflix. What? Deborah gets red pilled. Net Demolition Man. All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was in the middle of plugging next week's show. So uh, yeah, Deborah Deborah gets red pilled is a guy called Adam. Twenty thirty two. <laughs> and uh, Adam has started a podcast with his mother in law. Nice. And yes. he's gradually red pilling his mother in law. They've had Charlie Robinson on <laughs> and uh Truthzilla and all sorts of other sort of alt alt history conspiracy podcasters on. I just love wow. the I think it's a brilliant concept. Getting his mother in law and gradually red pilling her. So we're doing yeah. a so we're doing a swap cast, that's that's coming up next week. Okay. And um Oh man. I forgot to uh Swap my leads around because you made, made me get my phone out. Oh, it was going so slick. <laughs> so that's coming next week. Secret Santa will be the week after the twenty seventh. That's not even Christmas anymore. Right. What's it? All right. Well, tough. It's, it's the last day of uh, the five day freedom train. Could we? The freedom train. No, it's only three households. Yeah, exactly. Yes, over, over the period. Are you not planning um, on seeing any family? It, yeah, I've no. not seen anyone else. No. <laughs> no, this map. No. But, but, see, but, and yeah. you've, you've already said you're now. No, yeah. It's fine by me. I don't give a shit. It's decided. Right, okay, yeah. We can come round then, can't we? Right. That's fine. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'll tidy up a bit. I yeah. will. There's just and like just, sp- you know, spunk rags uh, everywhere. I know, it's just like <laughs> metres and metres of fucking bald up toilet paper. Yeah, just a, a, a solitary cucumber in the, in the corner. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a salad. Oh, my God. Yeah, so join us for, for next week. We'll be back with Deborah Gets Red Pill. Thanks, yep. for, uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out the YouTube and the Odyssey and all that shit. Follow us on social. Mm. Build back better. Wakanda forever. Epstein didn't kill himself. Get fucked. See you later. <laughs> An old friend is here. Oh, shit. Fuck. I'm. 
shite Christmas. It's finally here. Now that's what I call a Corona Christmas. I'm socially distant. The shot in the arm we've all been waiting for. I've got my gear on. Christmas hit after Christmas hit. The lockdown was over. Lovingly ruined to help you not celebrate this Christmas. Oh, baby, this COVID This long play double cassette CD comes with special two-meter gaps between every song. This comes to pass. Johnny Mathis. When a mask is worn. Christmas favorites like sanitizers coming to town. 